This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You are listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review Podcast. We find little nuggets, treasures, valuable pieces of gold in the Joe Rogan Experience Podcast and pass them on to you, perhaps expand a little bit. We are not associated with Joe Rogan in any way. Think of us as the talking dead to Joe's walking dead. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the JRE Review. Uh, head over our website at jrereview.com for information, Patreon, that sort of thing. Um, this week, we have Michio Kaku. Um, he's an American theoretical physicist, futurist, and popularizer of science. He's the professor of theoretical physics at the City College of New York City, and no doubt you've seen him on the Science Channel on all kinds of science and physics and space shows. He's great. Uh, really interesting conversation with him and Rogan. Uh, then Rogan dealt with Bobby Azarian, PhD, cognitive neuroscientist affiliated with George Mason University, and a freelance journalist uh, who has worked and appeared in The Atlantic, New York Times, BBC Future. Recently wrote a book called The Romance of Reality. And uh, they had a complicated discussion. So see what you can make sense of in it. I struggled with that one, to be honest. I ended up listening to it twice. And ending the week with Megan Murphy. Um, I really like Megan. I like her attitude. I like how fun she is on there with Rogan trying to push her Mexican um, disgusting liquor. And Rogan's not having it. She's a Canadian writer, journalist, and founder of Feminist Current um, and a feminist website and podcast. So there we go. Enjoy the show, guys. You're listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review. What a bizarre thing we've created. Now with your host, Adam Thorne. This might either be the worst podcast or the best one of all time. One, go. Michio Kaku. Great guest. Um, I didn't realize this was the first time he was on Rogan. For some reason, I thought he had been on Rogan before. So I'm glad he got him on. I mean, this guy is up there in exciting science like Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's on the Science Channel all the time. He's just one of those guys that pops up all over the place. So great to listen to. What were your thoughts on him overall, Toddley? Uh. I'm going to call him MK just to make things simple if that works for you. But that, but Mr. MK, man, this guy is smart. I mean, other than not being able to turn his phone off, the guy's incredible. He talking about type 1, type 2, and type 3 civilizations. I had never heard any of those terms before. Super interesting to think that that we're even on a level of, of type 1 civilization. Um you know, yeah, what did he say? He said we we're pretty close to type one, right? Well, it was weird because he mentioned at first that we weren't. And then towards the end of the conversation, he was saying that maybe that's the first level of type one is knowing about, you know, creating the atomic bomb. That kind of puts you on that scale. It's maybe the first, you know, the first um, 
uh, level of that type one scale, right? Yeah, but the scale is more about your e- the planet's energy consumption than it is individual technologies that you create. True. Well, Tesla was way far uh, ahead of that, right? And we haven't really utilized any of that stuff according to uh, mm-hmm. our own government. We'll see. I mean, I think that we have the capabilities or we're on that. We're getting there, right? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the Chinese, right, are doing those fusion reactor experiments. And I think they have something close to at least the beginning parts of a usable uh, fusion reactor. And that probably will push us over. Once we have a bunch of those, it probably pushes over the type one. Into that type one mm-hmm. civilization, yep. It's going to be a big jump, though, to type two, where you have to build, what did he say, a Dyson sphere around the sun? What, what do you think that would take, a thousand years? I, have, seems like I don't know. That seems like such a mega undertaking. Would we even have enough material on the planet to build something like that? I mean, the sun is a million times larger than the Earth, I think. I mean, maybe by then we're, we're already going to be living on other planets and it won't, maybe it won't matter. Maybe Earth won't even be a, a thing we think about at that point because we're going to be traveling to other planets. Who no knows? It's, Who like, knows? it's like the Kansas <laughs> of America. Nobody wants to live there. No offense, Kansas. Just, just kidding. Um, yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, I was, what, what really got me earlier on in the conversation I thought was really interesting was how we're mapping brains for dreams. And, like, they can get a picture of your dream now. Do you remember that part? Did they say dream or memory? Well, they're they're mapping your memory while you sleep, and they can take a photo of what you were thinking about. They can digitize that now. And it's it's really pixelated, but they're getting to a point where, you know, you I, I can't remember how many years he said it would take, but they're mapping, you know, and creating this picture of your thoughts. That's crazy. Yeah. And like, then, if, if you can read, if you could read someone's dreams... How long is it before you can actually read their minds? Like, let's say somebody committed a crime and then you just have them, like, you just can look into their brain and see that they did this. Right. Know what they were thinking. Yeah. There's no, like, law and order. You don't need judges and juries. It's like, oh, we just printed out the picture of you stabbing this person to death. It's coming. Maybe, right? I mean, they didn't get into that, but... Something to think about if you're considering committing some crimes. Because (laughs) later in life, when they invent this technology, you're going to get caught. Bad move. I love that they opened up with UFOs as well. Like, I love that they jumped straight into that. And he seemed pretty on board. He's like, there's a lot of evidence out there. The videos, I mean, you know, that's a big thing. The sensor readings. He's like, something's here. I, I like how he mentioned, though, like, why haven't any of these people or should these people that get uh, abducted by aliens, like, bring us back something. Give us something to that we have clear evidence of. Evidence, right? is, evidence is useful, right? Other than photos. It's scientific. It's testable. Without that, what are you – it's just talking. You're just telling a story. I mean, and some of them can be really compelling – you know, just like as they were talking about Baldazar, I mean, it's very compelling. Does he have anything, even one piece of anything? It would, would have been so useful if he had just like nabbed, you know, a couple of screws and bolts off that <laughs> UFO. What did you think about this whole idea of digital immortality? I, that was one thing that struck me as being really cool and, and also strange and a little disturbing. 
about um, William Shatner getting his brain was it digitized or like they recorded him for 36 hours talking and now his great-grandchildren will be able to have a conversation with him, right? Yeah, I mean, it sounds crude, right? But it's I cool. Mean, but it sounds like it could work. You'll get a very basic version of him to chat with. And and I, I kind of, to me, that would be cool if I could go and talk to my great-grandfather or even my grandfather that I knew. You just have an app on your phone and you can call him and he's dead. But it's like a system that just has a little conversation with you. I mean, people might get a lot of comfort out of that, you know, when they're grieving and things like that. But what kind of freaks me out, and it's the same idea as whenever you would see, like, people teleporting on Star Trek. Mm -hmm. It's like, really, they're dying every time that happens. They disintegrate, and then it builds a new version of them from the data in the other location. Well, that's just a copy with the original destroyed, you're dead. Right. Like, that's basically what is happening on Star Trek, as far as I know, every time someone teleports. In the same way, sure, you can download your whole brain, right? Let's say they do that. They download it into a system that has all the neuron configuration, everything. So it works exactly like your brain. But you're still alive. Well, then when you die, you don't just appear inside that thing. It's just like a really good copy of you for for other people it's not for yourself right it's what it seems like but they keep they keep trying to tout this as immortality it's not really it's digital immortality it's, it's almost like making a statue of yourself but one that's more kind of realistic interactive yeah but that's all it is it's all it seems to ever be it's like you can't you can't really live forever so it's like symbolic immortality, maybe. I don't know. Right. But well, then he, but he talks about how he thinks that aliens are actually using this already to teleport themselves through space, right? This digital highway, he called it, right? Or did he call it a, the laser porting? Oh, yeah. It was something like that. Laser right. porting. So he, he's thinking that this is how aliens or extraterrestrials are actually traveling through space, you know, faster than the speed of light. On these, with these like digital avatars, it's a little confusing, but kind of makes sense. But it kind of does. Look at it this way: imagine this, right? You know how busy you get when you're working on your magazine and doing other stuff, and you're like, "Man, I wish there was like two of me." So imagine if there was like a digital avatar of you that could like make decisions and think like you do, and you can just outsource tasks to it. How do we make it more productive? Right, yeah, turn up the productivity. It actually ends up making you look lazy. Because yeah, if useless. it's an, yeah, if it's another me, I don't know if he's going to get more done. <laughs> well, you get at least twice as much done. Okay, or well, twice as much procrastinating. <laughs> it's hard to know. Oh, what about the robots, man? What did you think about this whole idea of what? What did he say? A robot is has the brain of a cockroach now. Yeah, like as, a dumb one, right. a dumb cockroach, because you can't leave it in the woods and it. It won't survive, but it can like do movements, basic stuff. Um, once we have one that's like a normal cockroach, it'll be able to find shelter. It'll be able to find power for itself through food or whatever. And and then eventually we have one, what, like a rodent and then a rabbit and then eventually a monkey. A monkey robot sounds terrifying because yeah. monkeys can do a lot of stuff. They're sneaky, man. They're yeah. gonna they're gonna find out. What did he say? They're gonna find out 
he's he's nervous about the idea of them finding out that they're not a robot, right? Because they'll have the capacity to figure that out. Or that they're different from us. Right. Yeah. And so then what? He, he we, um, MK was saying that he wanted um, like an off switch, right? Like we could program some sort of switch into the robot that once they figured out that they weren't robots, that it, that they would just shut off. So you that mean it, once they figure out they are robots and not or, humans? I guess they'd be smart enough to know that, you know, they're they're separate from humans. Yes. Yeah. I, look, man, we definitely need shut-off systems in these robots, right? If they have the capability Absolutely. to start reorganizing themselves and thinking outside the box and – yeah, we, we got to be able to turn that stuff off. But ultimately, I'm not super worried about it. I mean, look, mo- people far, far smarter than me are concerned about AI, right? So like Google engineer, Google engineer recently quit Google because he's pretty sure that the AI system became sentient. That's terrifying. Also, Elon Musk is pretty afraid of AI. So obviously, I'm being dumb because you should listen to people like that about it. I just don't get what their motivation would be other than if we program them to be destructive towards us, right? I then mean, in their subroutines or whatever, then yeah, of course they will be. But otherwise, what would their motivation be? What are they trying to achieve by even just realizing how dumb we are and useless and that we may destroy ourselves? I mean, it's not like they they should have this innate built-in desire to survive like we do. Maybe, maybe they will. Maybe they will. Maybe we'll, I guess we'll find out because it's, you know, we're trying to map it right now. We're mapping all these brains and making them, you know, turning, using that with the robots. And the the weird thing is, is that most of this stuff now is for military use anyways, right? So right. Who, who knows what could happen? What, was he talking, um, uh, as far as Elon Musk, you mentioned Elon Musk. Was he, did he bring him up? Uh, no, sorry. That was our next guess. We'll get into that next time. Well, let's finish up with the Bob Lazar stuff that they got to. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm kind of suspicious that MK has not heard of Bob Lazar. I just feel like in the scientific community, even though it's a bit of a fringe kind of theory and guy and there's like this conspiracy theory element, I feel like the story is too interesting that for people to have not brought this up to him in the past especially yeah someone who's in this profession and knows all the people it it seemed like he he kind of skirted the question a little Uh bit didn't he yeah and then once they mentioned that uh professor at stanford who studies uh artificial intelligence or studies uh ets they brought up his name anyways once they mentioned him he goes oh yeah mk was like oh yeah i actually um we have stabilized that element before element 119 and it wasn't very stable i think it's 115 or sorry 115 but he was yeah he was at first kind of he almost sounded like he didn't know what that element was or what it was talking about or what it was supposed to do and i don't know i i feel like he just didn't kind of want to get into that but at the same point you know brave if that was the case because he still kind of did you know, he did he at the end, through yeah. it and, and he raised a really good point, which often isn't heavily brought up with Bob, Bob Lazar. It's like, well, where is the evidence from any of the people that have it? Like the only evidence we have is that all the videos, the sensor data, that stuff looks weird. OK, something. 
How did he know about the element, though? Because he was already well, he's, working he's a with them. So he knows right. chemistry. Right. A chemist would know that even if he didn't know about Bob Lazar. Like gotcha. they, the, the, on the periodic table, like that is an element that's been discovered, and he would know something about. We what just it hadn't. Is. It hadn't been stabilized yet. I think what that means is they only able to make it at like a few atoms worth. Right, so it's it's they really can't see like a solid chunk of it, right. and then do a bunch of the properties don't actually work tests. with that small amount. For whatever reason, yeah, it's too reactive. There's another element called francium that's on the table, which is like technically another liquid metal like mercury, but they've never been able to stabilize more than a few atoms. They just know if they could make more of it, it would be a liquid metal at room temperature, so they can. Based on its properties, they can, like, extrapolate what they think it will be doing. But for whatever reason, they can't make a lot of it. It's just kind of harder to do. I think it takes, like, a lot of power and pressure and all sorts of weird stuff to make, like, the heavier elements for some reason. Let's jump over to um, Bobby. What was his last name? I forgot. Oh, let's see here. Sorry, we Bobby. have Bob Azurian. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you, Azarian. You may have to take a bit of the lead on this one, buddy, because I was getting the gist of what he was saying, um, but I was getting lost, dude. I tell I'm you what, lie. I lis- I listened to this one twice, and I took a bunch of notes, so I'll I'll try, man. But it was it was extremely interesting just to hear about this idea of consciousness. We all think about it. It's there. We can. Well, we all have it. Yeah, we we have it. We know it's there. We I, I guess we can't. You know, there's some people that say it's not real. You know, there was plenty of of deniers. But I think, you know, Joe gets into saying, look, we can all kind of agree that we all have a consciousness, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's there. It's happening. But the cool thing that Azirian was saying is that when you have, you know people thinking and doing and, and becoming more complex every day. We're, we're learning new things. Technology is happening. It's actually creating more of a synergy in our it, – it's not chaos. It's actually organization. Like the earth is, is creating more of an organized um, – Yeah, because they always teach – they always taught that, I think, in physics generally that – what was it like the second law of thermodynamics? Just something that everything moves towards entropy. towards decay, towards decay, yeah. Right. So you've got entropy, which is like things just falling apart. But that kind of didn't ever make sense to me because as the universe has developed from the Big Bang, the gas particles, the uh, you know clouds that are floating around, eventually came together with gravity and formed suns. So that's order, right? I mean, they're coming together to create suns that eventually exploded and made more elements that created planets. So in a sense, that's more order. And then obviously the development of life on the planet is order because it's creating DNA and cells and things like this. Mm -hmm. So it seems to be like both things. Well, but he's saying the earth is like, well, what did Sagan say? Carl Sagan was saying that the earth starts to wake up as a result of evolutionary process. 
So it's almost like we're finding more about our we're finding more about ourselves and the earth as we get towards this higher technological power. Yeah. Right? Like we're lear- we're just learning more and as we learn more, the universe is starting to make more sense and that's the organization that's that's happening. It's like the earth wants us to to uh, have this evolutionary path where we continue to grow and continue to use energy, you know, right. just as a, just as a plant needs the sun, it needs the energy. It's almost like we need that motivation to become these higher beings or, or superpowers really. I mean, I like the idea, right. That th- this is all for a reason. Like we're evolving for a reason. And, but it, in a way it's kind of like Joe was saying, it's like, you know, egoic almost because it's like adding more reason and value to like what we are like oh we must be here for a purpose yeah nice thought yeah could just be random though could but be. it's saying that life is an essential part to increase complexity in our universe like that like you're saying it's supposed to be this way or what he's saying is it's supposed to be this way this is part of the evolutionary process is this complexity that we're creating yeah I mean, it's fun ma- to think about but maybe, why does it have to be? I mean, it's obviously um, a, a, a process that creates more complexity. You can't argue with that, right? It's the it's, laws of the universe. But but there's other types of complexity that it could be making. So it doesn't have to necessarily do life. It just seems to be happening. What is fascinating to think is consciousness, whatever you want to call it, is really just a part of the universe experiencing itself right being aware to experience itself because we like to think of ourselves as different than the universe the planets are all out there and we're on a planet but we're a different thing and we're you know todd and adam but we're still made up of all the same pieces where we are the universe yeah we're <laughs> just a tiny little bit of it but we're able to experience what it is it's like we're, yeah. we're seeing what else the other bits of the universe are made of and exploring it what did you think? I, I brought this up on earlier when we were talking with, about Michio, um, and I forgot that it was actually from Bob when he, when he was talking about simulation theory and how Elon Musk actually believes in simulation theory, which means the world is actually created by intelligent agents outside of this world. So, like, there's another, another part layer. of us somewhere that's created this, and it's almost like a video game. I mean, we're not different than any sort of intelligent design movement. It's like a product of God, you know? Like we are gods that have created ourselves already. Well, I read a story once, and it was a cool story. And it was about this small box that this, um, like, other civilization created. Mm-hmm. And it's like a supercomputer. And the computer is so powerful, it can run the calculations of a universe from the Big Bang to the end of the universe. And it can do it almost instantly. So it can just, inside this box, even though it's just a computer, that's it, it's running the simulation of an entire universe, which probably has many planets on with different alien races within the system. When I read it, I found that so fascinating because there would be no way that they could get outside of it. Think about it. They're just on a computer chip. They wouldn't be able to get in a spaceship and fly out of the, because their spaceships don't really mm-hmm. exist. They only exist within their own simulation. And if that is the, I mean, 
it's a fun theory to play with, but there's absolutely no way you could prove it. I wouldn't imagine. It's interesting to me that Elon Musk believes in that. I mean, it, it is interesting. It's like the yeah. Matrix, right? It's like we are VR, and VR is so realistic that we do not know that it's whether it's real or not. Yeah, which is kind of terrifying because whoever's <laughs> in charge of that can make anything they want happen. They could just throw that thing in the trash, and we're done. Well, who if we are getting controlled right now, why why do you got to create so much fear in us, man? Come on, guys. Let's Well, but they're running it's a simulation. So, with simulations, you run all different parameters to see what different outcomes are. So, right. they they're probably just plugging this stuff in. I mean, up in Montana right now, we're having what? The highest river levels that have ever been that recorded. That have ever been recorded, yeah, and it's since washing they away roads, bridges, everything. I mean, Maybe if someone's in charge of it, they're like, yeah, let's mix this up. Let's add some, <laughs> let's see let's add some rain over here. Let's see what's going on. Let's throw a, a war in there. Oh, let's see man. how they react. Let's throw a couple of crazy dictators and see what they get up to. Yeah, it, It's nuts to think about. I mean, but it's fun to think about, too, because it's just a theory, but it it's no different than saying that God created the earth in my mind. Right. There was a cool movie from the 90s, and I think it's called like The 13th Floor or something. Mm-hmm. And it's about a computer programmer that makes um, a simulation in his universe. But then he finds out that he's in one as well. And it's the first time that a simulation had made a simulation. Found it out. The movie's kind of weird, but it's a pretty good movie, and it's super trippy. And... Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the same thing, right? I mean, how close do the avatars in the simulation have to be before they're starting to question things and figure out their own universe and wonder what they are? It's kind of like the robot thing we were talking about. Yeah. I mean, once they know that they're not robots, what are they going to do? Yeah, they might get mad. (laughs) Do you remember, uh, so he brought up the... Uh, John Van Neumann, right? Is that how you say his last name? The guy who created the atom bomb? He was like the smartest dude in the whole Manhattan actually, Project. I'd ne- I didn't recognize his name when he said it, but it, that was the guy that he was saying could calculate things way faster than even Einstein. Than Einstein, yeah. He dwarfed Einstein's ability with ma- in mathematics. Right. And he was saying that guards, they were on guard with him while he was dying in a, in a hospital bed. They had guards so to apparently, maybe... Right, we don't know because we didn't hear anything that he said, but he was on his deathbed, and Azurian was, you know, questioning whether or not the reason the guards were there is so he wouldn't say what they had been working on during the Manhattan Project. Right? Like, did they find something? Did they figure kind of out? Makes sense. I mean, they, who knows? Maybe they did some like really weird radiation tests where some soldiers, you know, got sick and died, and these scientists like had to live with that guilt and they were like look dude you can't talk about this this is top secret so right. some messed up things happened i mean we we'd like to believe that the whole process was just this scientific engineering endeavor and everyone did their best and we needed it to end a war but there was probably all sorts of weird crap going on i mean yeah, and our government definitely knows about it. And whether they tell us or not, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense that they had that guard. I wonder if he was able to slip out some uh, details, like write something on a sock and throw it in a laundry basket and see if somebody got it. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. 
Well, what did you think about him just talking about how how nature needs, uh, you know, progress is created by problems in nature, right? Like we only progress when we fuck something up, right? It's like it's almost like, you know, he's saying that nature needs this chaos in order to move forward and create new and better things. Well, I think that's pretty much how evolution is going to work. It's like adapting to your environment and something happens, right? right? All of a sudden, the bit of land that you're on breaks off from the other bits of land and now you're stuck on this island, yeah. but you're this big dinosaur thing and now you're too big for that space. There won't be enough food and some of your offspring that were just, you know, unusually small are better adapted to it. Now, usually they wouldn't be as good. They're not as strong. They won't be as big. They wouldn't have survived. But in, in this new terrain, they're the ones that move forward. So it's not always that I don't think that the adaptation is necessarily better, quote unquote. It just is better for that moment. Right. But for whatever that reason is. True. But we're creating so many technological advancements because of, you know, military, mostly, probably because of military, right? Is that even though war is such a horrible horrible thing to think that we could somehow progress from that but maybe you know that chaos that's being created this insane amount of you know fear and and chaos is actually creating a space where we're going to figure something out that's going to progress us way forward and past war so we don't even have to have wars anymore a hundred percent that's pretty cool you know the space program came out of the nazis developing advanced ballistic missiles there you like go. They got really good at developing missiles that could fire a really long way like no one else had ever done. There were really no like rockets like that before World War II, I don't think. And then they had them that they could like fire to London. Well, they used the same scientists to figure out how to get these rockets to the moon. So, you know, war is overall, yeah, it's super bad. But there are probably big jumps in technology that come out of it you know, which later can be pretty useful for us. I don't want to justify war, like, for that reason, but... No, um, but it just, it made me think about it, how he's saying this complexity and this chaos is create is something that's intrinsic in nature. It has to happen, and in order for us to advance, you know, some of those things may have to happen. Sure. This one just kind of hurt my brain, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Like, this, I'm like, what? Okay, what? Where are we going with this? Like, what is the point that you're – it, it was just – it just got kind of confusing, you know? I mean, when he was talking about closed systems and open systems. So Earth is an open system, meaning we can get our energy from the sun. So more energy is added to the system as a whole, and that creates um, a situation where or, there's more order, right? right? So it doesn't go with that that closed system disorder process. Right, right. And, and yeah, so we're an open system, so we actually, that disorder is actually intrinsic to what is normal for the Earth. But then isn't kind of, isn't everything in a sense an open system then? I mean, even planets really far away from the sun are still getting some energy, just not a lot, but they're still getting some sun energy. I mean, I guess all he was saying, though, is that an open system disrupts that second law and that tendency towards decay. 
yeah, and chaos. That makes sense. Right? Like he because it's open, there's there's different things that happen that are different than the universe is expecting. Right? I guess. Yeah. It's just a bit kind of I don't know. And why it, it, does our consciousness create those thoughts and ideas? That that's the real question. I I if somebody asked me after listening to this, what do you think this guy's book is about? I would have such a vague idea that and it probably is just because I'm stupid and I didn't quite get it, but I <laughs> I I listened to this one almost twice too. I like got halfway through it again. And mm-hmm. I was getting a little bit more out of it, but it was it was a bit up there. Last thing I want to hit on with this one, though, and it was something that kept coming up as like a general question, like a broad question. Do you think the universe itself is conscious? And I'm asking you. I think because we have a conscience, um, we are the universe. As you mentioned earlier, we're, we're part of the universe. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. The universe has a conscience. I mean, what guides you? What guides people? Their conscience, right? We're being guided by whatever created us. Don't I don't know why. Yeah, I guess I guess the real question is not every part of it. Like there's a bunch of meteors that are probably definitely not conscious. But there is a bunch of shit on this planet that is. So, yeah, a bit of it is is the only thing I got out of it. But I'm like, the the whole universe? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. He, he I, again, it's a theory, but it's really interesting to, to think about. It's just a theory. Yeah. Maybe this one is a better pod to, like, smoke a bunch of weed to and then try and figure out what the hell's going on. Or just enjoy the madness of the conversation. I enjoyed it because it's just stuff I had never thought about before in my life. And it's interesting to hear. That's good. Yeah. So that That's was good. good. I would recommend it. All right, let's jump over to Megan Murphy, not Todd's favorite. Don't be shy, Todd. You, you've already <sighs> talked to me about this. You know, I I don't know. I'll let you start on, on <laughs> Megan. Let you start on Megan. I'll, I'll, I'll throw in some tidbits here and there. You know, I, I like Megan on podcasts. I think she's very good just as a personality. Like she has good energy. She says interesting stuff. She's fun. <clears throat> You know, she gets loose, like when she's talking about that, like, Mexican drink that she had. It's very much like two friends hanging out. She makes it fun. It's not like a really stern, cold interview where she has all these points she's just got to throw out. It, like, it starts fun. Yeah, it was like talking to a friend. I like any podcast that gets off that way. It kind of eases you in, right? Um, I hate the fact that she was banned from Twitter for saying what she said. Because I just think it's unfair and people should be able to say things. And, Agreed. Agreed. You know. Um, and she has some interesting perspectives on on stuff. Like I, you know, she she doesn't annoy me too bad. I, I had a bit of a different uh, realization after listening to it. But I, I guess I just didn't understand how she could say all these things about being liberal and she used to be liberal, and now she's, you know, a little bit more towards the center. She's a libertarian now, right? Um, but she still believes in universal health care. She's still, you know, she's obviously a compassionate person, which I think the left tends to be more compassionate. But she's more of a realist, which I appreciate. 
I just don't understand why she would start um, preaching about it so much. But everybody's got their opinions, man. But preaching about what? About becoming less liberal? I don't understand why she cares so much about what other people do other than the sports thing. Like if you want to become a woman or a man, if you want to be trans, she seemed to be very poignant about not agreeing with a lot of that, you know. Yeah, and I'm not saying I agree with her about those things. Like she's just taking a stand. And I think yeah. what what she was kind of saying is from – it sounds like she has been a feminist forever. Mm-hmm. And I think she worries that this – new encouragement of people becoming trans and then trans women, you know, so they were biological men when they were born and now they are women being able to be a part of the female community with open arms. Mm-hmm. I think she's just saying that this, she thinks it's a problem for women and women should be concerned about it. Yeah, I mean, as far as sports go and, and, and prisons, I mean, those things make sense to the me. The prison one seems like a bad idea. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I see your point there, for sure. Yeah. Um, and she and she kind of got on the pod with Rogan because of this. So I mm-hmm. think this quickly became like a focal point for her. Gotcha. Because it gave her, in a sense, a lot of notoriety. So she really hashed out her thoughts on it. So now it seems like this is, you know the position that, you know, the hill she wants to die on in a sense. Like, yeah. I think she's just come to really define it clearly for herself and now does probably speaking engagements and, you know, organizes, I don't know if she has like a book tour, but she was doing that event in Austin where she was like meeting with women to discuss X, Y, and Z. And she probably has to go over these points. So she just practices right. this a lot. Yeah, I guess I I didn't appreciate um, putting liberals in a box. You know, I I realize there's a far there's a far left and there's a far right, obviously. But I didn't agree that all liberals are, you know, have some sort of ideology where they think the world can be perfect through socialism. I mean, she was basically calling liberals communist, which I didn't understand, especially coming from isn't she Canadian? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so. Yeah, I was a little confused by I, I by her by her points. I mean, I, she's very vocal about them. I think like many people that have been on the left that are slowly moving more center, especially since COVID and other things, like there's a bit of a shift. And what comes with that is a little bit of resentment of the far left and a focus on what they're doing. I don't think it doesn't seem to be um, these like leftists that are getting more center are sat there saying, oh, every liberal does this, this, and this. I, I think felt they, she was saying that. They kind of do, though. They yeah. kind of do, but I'm sure what they mean is, like, focusing on, like, the, what gets all the attention, which is the far left right. or the far right. or And this is why it's so hard in different communities to identify with either one because if someone doesn't agree with you, they kind of throw you in the camp of, like, the extreme of both of those views. That's the Which, problem, right? But it doesn't make sense because the But it's such an of, issue. But the extreme of both these views is probably followed by a fairly small amount of the overall people. It's like somebody tells you they're a Republican or someone tells you they're a liberal. Statistically, if you're looking at like some sort of bell curve, they're p- probably going to be pretty in the middle-ish. I think that's with most of us, yeah. And our government or not our government, our media wants us to be one-sided so that we are 
we're thinking that we're, you know, they so seem, opposite of each other. They seem to want to get us fighting all the time. Right. Because that's what probably sells magazines. That's what sells newspapers. That's what gets clicks. I mean, most of it's clicks now, right? Clickbait. Yeah. Yeah, Super annoying. True. Every time I click on an article that's like, this happened or da-da-da-da. Like, there was one the other day. Just take Joe Rogan, for example. It was like, Michael Bisbing replaces Joe Rogan in Singapore UFC. Well, a lot of people would click on that thinking, I wonder why. What's happened? Has Rogan quit? Whatever. Well, if you know anything about the UFC, you know that Rogan does not do international pay-per-views. It's too much flying. It's tiring for him. He doesn't bother. So... All the story really is, is the person who was already scheduled to do the event was going to do it, and Rogan was never doing it anyway. But this is how they set these fucking articles up, and it's so annoying. It's irresponsible reporting, man. It's just irresponsible, and we're leaning towards that with all with everything nowadays. I mean... But they got to make money. The problem is, let's say you're a responsible reporter, and you find out nobody looks at your shit ever. That's the problem. And then you lose your job. And you're like, well, now I'm not even a reporter anymore because no one bothered to look at my stuff. It's almost like you've got to be – there's so much crazy, outrageous stories online that the only way you can get anyone to look at you is as if you're at least on par with that. That's true. I mean hopefully YouTube doesn't start censoring people too much and that we can at least try and get some more unbiased information from you know, normal people instead of the news. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's why Russell Brand is doing great on YouTube. His um his new stuff is really interesting. And he's very very liberal. Like he always has been. I mean he's he's even he would be far left. I mean before I think he was like a green party guy. Which Don't is, you think he's open-minded though? I mean if if oh, you give yeah, him definitely. if you give him a, a a different point, he's gonna He's not going to turn it off right away. He's going to think about it, right? Yeah, no, I wasn't saying that because he started. I'm just saying he started way over. So to like come at him and say, oh, this guy's obviously a Republican because of these views and, you know, going into COVID questions and, you know, pu- pushing some narratives of misinformation. It's like, hold on. This guy is like the biggest hippie in the world. Mm-hmm. And he is a sweetheart. He loves everyone. Like mm-hmm. he he just is that guy. He do, he's just he's just thinking. He's a thinker. He's not like falling into the trap of like, oh, I have to be like this because I identify as a hippie. He's just like, well, what's going on here? He's suspicious of what news narratives are giving us. So he looks into it, and you get some really insightful information. I don't know what kind of research team he has, but whatever he has puts together really good little videos of him like they're pretty short they're excellent i can't wait for him to come back on rogan because i don't think he was doing this show the last time he was on so it'd be really cool to hear like how this has changed for him and you know i mean he's like becoming a very trusted person in news media i'm kind we kind of getting off track but let's get back to what joe was saying about twitter so megan murphy was kicked off Joe's Twitter has gained almost a million followers since um, Elon is, like, trying to buy it. And he's like, what's going on here? This is weird. So it's kind of interesting that already there seems to be, like, this bit of a shakeup amongst Twitter as they maybe scramble to clean up their algorithms before um, 
uh, Elon takes over. You think he's gonna? You think Elon's gonna buy it? I thought that they were that he's trying to back out because he thinks all these numbers are fake and the people are fake and there's bots everywhere. I think he just wants the data and they mm-hmm. I, they're open to it. They're like giving him the information so he can check and see who's bots, who's not, figure out how to get rid of it. Um, he's gonna cut cut a few bill off of that top price, I think. Oh, uh, no doubt. He's going to be like, well, it's like buying a used car and then realizing the (laughs) suspension's all smashed up. You're like, bro, this isn't what you said this was. I ran the Carfax. Twitter's kind of like, you know, a refurb. Uh, I would say one thing I agreed with here at the end, I'm just looking at my notes here, uh, is that it is scary for me to know that teachers are telling children or or basically influencing children if if they have like a you know, idea about trans. And again, I'm, I'm all for people doing what they, what they want. Right. And in my mind, anyone can do what they want to do as long as it's not hurting others. Okay. I get the sports thing. They talk about that a lot, but they also talk about children. They're so malleable. Right. And if you go into school and you're a school kid and you're, let's say, I don't know, eight years old and your science teacher starts talking about trans and you know, the bathroom situation and what's right, what's wrong. And, and these kids, it's, it's becoming so normalized. I'm not saying it's not normal, but a science teacher shouldn't be talking about that. If sex ed, okay, we talk about it in sex ed. But, you know, it's, I don't want some right winger saying that to my kid either, whether they're leftist or right wing. You know, I don't want somebody spouting off about right wing ideologies either to my child. Just teach them science. Yeah, I mean, the teachers probably should stick to the subject that they are trained for. The fact that all of them now seem to, you know, want to bring in their own personal feelings and beliefs and push that on kids, I think it's it, it's problematic. But then also this is all – this is new, right? This is happening mm-hmm. fast. This is like the last 10 years. Things have changed a ton. So they're kind of figuring out their way through it. That's um, true. But, but yeah, it's a concern. I mean, I don't have kids. You have a kid. I mean, you got to think in the next five, six years, they're going to be hearing things and they're going to come home and talk to you about it. And, you know, this is where good parenting comes true. in too. You still get to reinforce the different ideologies that you have at home. Um uh, makes you worry about kids with parents that don't pay a lot of attention to them because I the only thing yeah. they're going to be learning is from school. And, and that's where it's scary, right? Because if you're a good parent, then none of it, it doesn't really matter what the teacher says. You know, if he's spouting off about it every day, it's a problem. But you can always influence your child in other ways. Um, yeah, it like you said, it's a new thing and we're we're navigating through it right now. And... I think that's why they brought up the sports stuff, you know, because it's such a new thing, you know, for that that woman who got second place in that skateboard competition, that Red Bull comp, and she was, you know, first place, uh, she was beaten out by a trans woman, right? Yes. And in my mind, that does seem a little weird. Again, we're navigating it, but it doesn't seem fair. Again, people should be able to do whatever they want with their bodies, in my opinion, but when it comes to sports, it does get a little dicey. You know, even with pool, when they were talking about billiards, I mean, 
you know, I get it where, where there's a strength advantage if you're a, if you're a biological male, right? There's obviously a strength advantage. So how do you navigate through that? And Red Bull doesn't want to talk about it because they don't want to get ostracized by the community. There's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure the, from the Red Bull. The skateboard one sounded unfortunate because, you know, if, if the separation between male and female skateboard capabilities is huge then these guys can just jump over all the time. And I'm not saying that it was faked or this person isn't a trans woman, right? But right. It, it just kind of I, – I think in time, if like first, second, third place are all trans women in like a bunch of different female sports, it's going to start to get pretty frustrating for women that, you know, are fans of the sports – and also frustrating for women that are more so that partake in the sport. They're like, why are we even doing this? We're right. just going to be beaten by these people and we can't compete at that level. It's tough to navigate and there's not enough people to create a third, you know, tier of, of just, you know, just trans, trans athletes. Just trans yeah. athletes. Well, not yet. Not I mean, yet. Trans numbers are growing fast, so maybe there will be one day. The last point I want to touch on is something that really resonated with me and definitely a lot of people here in Bozeman are feeling it because after COVID, the housing prices are like through the roof. It's almost impossible for anyone that's not making quarter of a million a year to buy anything. And they were talking about how, uh, you know, it's tough to buy a house today. And it seems like to me, mostly everyone I know that's been my age that is now set up to where they have their own home, there was an element of like inheritance or a lot of help from parents involved. I almost have no friend that just didn't get any help really or any didn't receive any inheritance and was able to buy a home. It's There's not like, many out there. It doesn't seem like it, does it? If you like have mm -hmm. a think now, if you can, to the people that you know own homes, not renting. It seems to be like a very high percentage of them had it that way. And if you don't get it, if you're not getting any inheritance from anyone and your parents, you know, just don't have money, it's like good luck getting a house. Well, I, th I think in Montana it's a little different because 10 years ago, even six years ago, you could afford a home here in Bozeman. And now there's no way. Even, I mean, even with inheritance, you might not be able to find a home here. So sure. I do have quite a few friends that were able to purchase because we're, you know, we're in our 40s. They were able to do it and when with the their own prices. money. But, but a lot of areas, it's been like this for yeah. decades, you know? Yeah, I you mean, couldn't do it without, without. 90s and beyond. I mean, I, I moved from Santa Monica, and no one's buying a place in Santa Monica if they're not. I mean, maybe they have a super dope job and a lot of money, but that's rare. I mean, I don't even know how you could afford it. It's It's... It's a little sad. I mean, it's the same thing with the school debt. They were talking about the school loans and stuff. I mean, it's just insane. Oh, those are gross. We just – there's nothing wrong with paying for school. I don't think school should be free, but why is it so freaking expensive, man? It should not be that expensive, just like home shouldn't be that expensive. Yeah, if you think about it, it's like why should a year of school cost as much as a car, a brand-new car? And 18-year-olds and don't know the – they don't know what they're getting into. You don't think about debt when you're 18. I sure as hell didn't. 
You just could. You just take out some school loans, free money, dude. Drunk, bought some skis, bought some drums. Yeah, (laughs) bought some stupid shit. Bought some other shit I don't remember that ended up in a storage unit. I mean, who knows? Yeah, right. And now you got to pay it off forever. It's like those skis took ten years, but yeah, yeah. Even though those skis only cost what? What what skis cost? Five hundred bucks? Eight hundred bucks? Okay, but with all the interest, by the time you pay it off, especially if you take that like thirty year route. Those skis are probably like $2,400 in the end. I mean, look, I paid off my school loans, I think, in 15 years. It was 10 or 15 years. But I think the the hardest part is when you're looking at people who don't really know what they want to do, right? They're taking some classes. They don't really – they haven't really found their groove yet. They don't – they obviously – you know, they don't know if they want to be a doctor, a lawyer, or if they just want to take some random liberal arts classes and all of a sudden – I mean, shit, half of my friends that went to art school, they're not, they're not in the profession for the arts. They're bartending or they're bike mechanics or, you know, they're, they're doing these odd jobs or whatever. A lot whatever. of people, true, don't use their degrees. That's the scary thing. To the full extent. But what's even worse than that, and I really feel for these people, is people that didn't finish. Let's say you got to your third year, yeah, right, and you went to a private school out of state, right? These are just your choices. Like people do it, you know, it's all the time, yeah. And they've got maybe seventy grand of debt. They've got maybe one year left. Seen it, and then because of life and other things changing, maybe they get, you know, they just have like health problems, or they have a kid, and there's just they got to get two jobs. They never get to finish, so now they don't have that degree and seventy grand. I mean, right. it's so much worse than for them than if they had just never even gone. And there's probably a lot of people that do that. I don't know what graduation rates from start to finish are on universities, but it's not like they're in the 90%. I mean... No, no way. Yeah, I w- I'd be surprised if it was like... I wouldn't be surprised if it was like half or like 60% graduate. That's 40%. That's a lot of people that have pretty much crippling debt and they don't have anything useful to show for it what do you put on your resume some college that's not getting you a job (laughs) well that i mean that was the interesting thing about megan murphy to me i mean they started talking all you know right off the bat about student debt and health care and you know she's claiming to be in uh, obviously she's an independent so you're gonna think those social things you're gonna be into right helping people and not having things too expensive. She's obviously a caring person, Mm -hmm. right? So let's talk about the, in my mind, let's talk about people coming together. Like you said earlier, most people are kind of somewhere in the middle. You're not far left or far right. It makes sense to have student debt not be so enormous. It makes sense to have healthcare prices not be so enormous, right? Then maybe we can come together and talk about all the bullshit that's happening in our media together instead of being so polarized. They want us to be polarized. Yeah, they don't. They, it's like they don't want us to find a solution for these things or even have time to think about it because we're too worried about gas prices, running out of baby formula, and what's going on in Ukraine. <laughs> it's like, shit, we got enough to worry about, plus going to work. That's right? it. That's it. They don't want us coming together, and I do feel like we're a lot more, you know, we're a lot more in the center, all of us, than we think we are because the news media wants us to think that we all hate each other. Yeah, no doubt we've got way more in common once we talk to each other calmly than we do fighting all the time. It's like they, they push us into those sorts of groups, and you just see it everywhere. Social media is the worst for it, for sure. 
Anyway, folks, on that note, which is kind of depressing end to this podcast. No, I, I think, think it's good. I think we come together, man. That's, All right. Well, we that's do. That's what we want to do. Yeah. Let's let's We're have Megan. You know, Megan Murphy needs to spout out about people coming together more rather than being opposite Yeah, maybe, maybe you need more of that really gross-tasting Mexican drink that she had, and <laughs> we all drink that. Cheers to it, and we come together. Let's go to Salulita, baby. That's it. Say later. All right, guys. Well, thanks, as always, for tuning in, staying with us. Appreciate it. Thanks to Todd for joining. And we will talk to you next week. Cheers. Peace out.